I love seeing people wearing church clothes again. Your Sunday best, right? How many of you guys heard that from your parents? You need to wear your Sunday best. I heard that over and over. Um, Man, all the cute kids in the lobby, come on now. Parents, I know what it took to get those kids ready, all right? You, you get my applause this morning. Good work, parents, all right? Now, the real work begins. I want to let you know, this is my disclaimer. I cannot promise they'll look that cute still after kids' church is over, all right? I know the work that lies ahead to try to keep the grass stains and the holes off our kids' dress pants today. Uh, it's going to be an awesome day. Men, you guys look handsome. I see, I see a lot of pastels today. All right? And I'm not judging you, okay? Don't let anyone judge. I think that means we have healthy marriages here because it means you're wearing what your wife put out for you, okay? And that's a good thing. We can do that once a year, can't we? We can get dressed up for the Easter picture. It's about that Instagram. Uh, it's about that Instagram post. And, and uh, I remember growing up in church, Easter being a big deal. We would do these sunrise services. Maybe some of you can relate to that. My favorite thing is some ladies would break out hats on Easter and gloves, not because they were cold, just because they're fancy. Gloves because you're fancy. We need to bring back some of that on Easter. I love Easter. I'll never forget these Easters. For those of you who are here for the very first time or maybe back again for the first time in a while, I want to say welcome. My name is David. I'm the pastor here, and I'm truly glad that you're here. I'm not going to ask a lot of you today. I promise that. But I do want to encourage you, if you have never filled out a Connect card, I would love for today to be the day that you do. Out in the lobby, we've got a coffee area. We've got a Connect area. There's some uh, volunteers that are over there. I'm going to stop over there after the worship experience. Stop over. Say hello. I would love to shake your hand and just let you know how glad I am that you're here. And I promise you, I'm not going to like bombard you if you fill out one of these Connect cards, but I will send you a text this week and just offer, I'll put the ball in your court. Let's grab a coffee. I want to hear your story. I want to hear what God has done. That's a privilege. It's an honor. I get to do that. So if you have not filled out that card, make sure that today is the day that you do it. Can we make that deal? All right. Now, Covenant Church Um, I want to tell you a little bit about who we are. Why is this church meeting in a movie theater, right? There's churches all over the world that are meeting, but we're in a movie theater today because 13 years ago, we felt called to plant a church here in Grove City, a church where people who are seeking out God can come and, and get to know him. And Luke chapter 19, Jesus says that the son of man came from heaven down to earth in order to seek and save that which was lost. He's not talking about your lost car keys. It's not going to help you find your lost wallet. What he's saying is that God has created men and women in his image and he loves us. And yet we have wandered away. We have chased after our own sins and after our own desires And Jesus came in order to gather these lost children back to the God who loves them in order that they might have a forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship. And so as a church, we want to do the same thing. And so this is going to be a place where you can come to know God. Wherever you are on your faith journey, you might be hearing the name of Jesus for the first time today, or you may have been in church for 50 or 60 years, but this is a place where you can know God. We want this to be a place where you can really grow in your faith 
and grow in a community of other believers who are your friends genuinely. You can, in our small groups, read, pray, uh, support and encourage one another as you grow in your faith and community. We want you to discover your purpose. This is big in our world today. I think that so many of us struggle to know why it is that we're here or what the point of all of this is. And yet, God says that you were created not as an accident, not as an afterthought, but you were created with a purpose. And we want to help you to discover what that is because there is nothing better than when you discover the reason why God has made you and you begin to make a difference that you were created to make. And so no matter why it is that you walked in the door today, I'm glad that you're here. You might have walked in celebrating with joy in your heart because Jesus is raised from the dead and he is your savior. Or you might have been dragged by your ear by your grandma. You might be just trying to please your mom. I don't know what it is, but here's what I'm going to ask from you. No matter where you sit today or why you came, I want you to have an open mind this morning. Have an open mind to this one idea that maybe, just maybe, you are here today for a reason. Maybe today is the day that will change everything in your life. I believe that with all my heart. And so today, as we jump into God's word, with that as our background, I want to let you know that it's going to be a little bit different of a Sunday. In fact, I'm a, I'm a little nervous to preach. It's a different way of preaching for me. Because today, instead of going through a bunch of scripture, which we normally do, man, we love to bounce back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and find out what it is that God has to say about our lives and about who he is. Well, today we are reading a half of a verse out of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. And it's a simple verse, but within this verse is profound truth. And here's what it says. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, I will put my trust in him. If you're taking notes today, and I want to encourage you to do that, now is the time to pull out your phones or your notebooks, because we are going to get to work. Are you all ready? Man, are we ready? All right, let's go. And again, I will put my trust in him. The very first part of that verse says, and again, and again. So many of us have heard the story of Jesus Christ again and again and again, haven't we? For some of us, I venture to say you not only have heard the story of Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth, who was crucified on a cross and resurrected three days later. You've heard it again and again and again, so much so that you can tell this story. It's a story that is simple and profound, isn't it? It's a story that contains such depth and meaning. And again, it's a story that even children can tell to one another. It's a story that we've heard again 
and again and again. And in fact, today, I want to give us a little bit of perspective all over the world. This very simple story of Christ crucified and raised on the third day is being told. It's estimated and celebrated by over 2 billion men, women, and children across the globe. And what that means is our voices are joining with theirs in song today. In China, they are telling the story of Jesus Christ hung on a cross. Down in New Zealand, some pastor is talking about the spear that pierced Jesus' side. In northern Africa, in, in, in Morocco, they are talking about how Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Down in Argentina, they're talking about the women disciples walking to visit Jesus on the Sunday morning. And here in Grove City, Ohio, with all of the saints across the globe and with men and women who have gone before us and countless millions who will go after, we proclaim the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, a stone that has been rolled away, a cold and empty tomb where there once lay a body, the linens that clothed Jesus now folded up an angel declaring the good news that he's not here, he has risen from the grave. And with that news, everything changed. Because of Christ's resurrection, we can have a new hope. We can be born again. We can have salvation. We can have forgiveness of sins. And yet, it's a story that sometimes loses its flavor for us because we've heard it again and again and again. A few years ago, me and my family, we were in, in Spain. And we took this trip sort of on the spur of the moment to the royal palace of Spain. My kids back then, they called it the king's house. So I'm just going to call it the king's house. I don't think he actually lives there. But I walked into this building and immediately my mind was blown by the scale and by the grandeur and the architecture of this incredible palace. And as I walked from room to room to room, it seemed like there were new treasures and wonders that, that I could not wrap my mind around, tapestries that were just massive and took years to weave on the walls. There were paintings painted by masters that were worth hundreds of millions of dollars hanging right there in front of us. Statues carved out of marble with such intricacy. But my very favorite part as I walked with my mind blown from room to room in this palace was when we walked into the armory. Now I'm going to be honest. I think it was closed and we snuck in. Okay. Nobody else was in there. We maybe walked past some spines, but I don't speak Spanish, so that's all right. And down in the royal armory, I saw things that I, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't understand. Swords and armor and chain mail and, and with intricacy. And, and they made these things six and seven hundred years ago with no electricity, no power tools. It was unbelievable, the, the just majesty of the place. And yet, I also want to share with you this one thing that I noticed, and that's in that in every corner of the king's palace, there were people with name tags standing something like this, you know, looking down at their feet, kicking the ground, absolutely bored out of their mind. Because for day after day after day, they'd seen the beautiful artwork and they'd seen the tapestries on the wall and something that is 
absolutely extraordinary has become ordinary to them. Something that was majestic has become mundane. Church, I'm afraid that the story of Jesus Christ, God come from heaven to earth, buried in a tomb and raised from the dead, I'm afraid that it has become mundane to some of us. And so today, again, I want to call you back to be captivated by the majesty of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, of all that it means for you and me. And again, I will put my trust in him. The second word, the second word that we want to focus on is this word, I. If there's one thing that I both love and hate in equal measure, it's accountability. I love it because it helps me to grow, right? It sets a standard by which I I know that I can be fulfilling my full potential if I'm held accountable to it, but but I hate it because it forces me to grow, (laughs) And it's because I'm held accountable to my own words and my own standards and I'm confronted with my weaknesses and my failures. I hate accountability and I love accountability. I think that we as humans, we in general have an aversion to being held accountable. All you have to do is listen to an argument between two little kids And if you as a parent can identify with pulling your two little kids together and saying, hey, you can't do, and their answer is, but they did it first, right? Well, but she hit me. There's never a, you know, I'm wrong. I messed up. I did it. It's always, but they, but they, but they. And for us, we never grow out of that mentality. (laughs) It's a sad state of affairs, but we don't. And so, Even though I can talk about the fact that we will all be held accountable before God for our sins, oftentimes when I talk about sin here on a Sunday morning, we start thinking in our mind about somebody that's a sinful person. And so I might be talking about the evils of gossip. And as I talk about how gossip is something that is is sinful and awful, you start thinking about your neighbor, Sheila. Now, Sheila, she's a gossip. You know, I bet Sheila needs to hear this message, doesn't she? Now stop, I'm not talking about Sheila, I'm talking about you, I, right? I might be talking about pride, it being the root of all kinds of evil and and how it ruins us and it causes us to sin. And you're thinking, oh man, that's my boss to a T. He's never done anything wrong. Stop. I is a powerful word because it causes us to take accountability for our own actions. And here's what scripture says about accountability for our own actions. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it's the simplest of verse, but I want you to listen closely. It says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That doesn't mean the person sitting next to you will give account of their life or your neighbor or your friend or your brother-in-law. It means that each of us, you, I, will give an account of myself before God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 puts it this way, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one might receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I want you to be thinking this phrase and maybe even say this phrase to yourself right now where, I, where you sit. Just say it in your own mind. 
I want us to take accountability for our own actions in this moment. I want you to think, I will stand before a holy God. Someday I will stand before a holy God. I will be held accountable for my actions. And again, I will put my trust in him. Will put is the next part that I want to talk about. Because will is this future verb. It talks about something that's going to happen in the future. This passage, interestingly enough, is is actually a paraphrase of a prophecy from Isaiah. The writer of Hebrews, as he's writing Hebrews 2.13, is thinking back 800 years ago to something that Isaiah wrote to the people of Israel. You see, Israel had turned away from God. They had rejected God's standards. They had followed after idols. They had chased after their own desires and their own sin, not caring what it was that God had to say about their life or their actions. And Isaiah is warning them over and over and over again, God's judgment is coming. You will be held accountable for this. And as Isaiah judges and he, he decries the judgment that God is going to bring upon Israel, something interesting happens. Isaiah begins to think about his own self in that moment. And he says, essentially, I don't care that you guys are ignoring me. I don't care that you're not listening to anything that I'm going to say. I will put my trust in him. I will be held accountable. I will do it. I'm not going to stop doing it. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are men and women in here who have known the story of Jesus Christ. You've heard it. Maybe you were sitting in these seats last Easter and you heard the story of Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. And you thought to yourself, you know, someday I will give my life back to God. You know, someday, maybe I will do that. I have time. I'm still young. I'm enjoying the the things that I'm doing. I can't imagine walking away from some of these things that I know God would not approve of, but I will do it someday because I believe that it's true. But as every husband and wife knows, there's a difference between my intentions and my actions. There's a difference between saying, I will do it, and then actually doing it. I can't tell you how many times I have sat on the couch watching some Monday night football, and my wife says, hey, David, will you take out the trash? And I say, yeah, I will. And then as I pull out for work the next morning, and I see that my wife was the one that pulled the bin to the curb, I'm thinking, oh, my best of intentions didn't really matter to my wife in that moment, did they? Any of us who have ever told our kids, hey, go brush your teeth before bed, I will. Dad, I will. I will. Okay. Then you go upstairs and you give them a kiss goodnight and their breath smell like Doritos. You know, they didn't brush their teeth. You're not like, well, you know, you intended to, guys. It's okay. It's not just our intentions that matters. It's both my intentions and my actions must be in response to what God has called me to do. I will put my trust in him. The next part of this verse says it's, it's my trust. And this is, this is an important point. 
I've heard it said that trust is hard to gain and it's easy to lose. Have you guys heard that before? Trust is hard to gain and it's easy to lose. I want to challenge you to do something right now. If, if you have experienced the truth of that, I want you to just raise your hand right now. All over the auditorium are people who have experienced the truth that trust is hard to gain and it's easy to lose. And if you've been betrayed by someone that you trusted, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A secret that you told, a, a sin that you shared that, that someone then shared with someone else. Trust is hard to gain and it's easy to lose. And and here's the thing that I want you to consider. Trust is a gift that you have that only you can choose to give. Your trust is a gift that only you have that only you can choose to give away. No one can force you to trust them, can they? No one can force you to place your trust in them. Your trust and what you do with it is a choice. And it's why we as parents and friends, we're so concerned with who our, our young children and our teenagers give their trust to because there are people that will abuse it. There are people that will let us down. There are people that aren't worthy of the trust that we give to them. And now I want you to think about the future. Think back to that passage in Romans or in 2 Corinthians 5. That day when someday you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as you stand before that judgment seat of Christ, we've already established that you can't say, well, I, I know that I sinned, but they sinned too. No, we are held accountable for our sins in that day, for the life that we lived. So what is it that you're placing your trust in? In that moment, what is it that you are trusting will gain you entrance into heaven? What is it that, is, that you're trusting in that will forgive you of your sins? What is your trust being put in? Well, somebody might say, I'm a good person. We talked about this a little bit last week, and the truth is I probably would say you're a good person. I'd agree with you. But ultimately, if you even think about this question for a split second, the obvious next question comes up, which is, well, I'm a good person com compared to who? Compared to who am I a good person? And is being a good person enough to get into heaven? Well, Scripture says that it's not. Jesus tells us the standard that we must be perfect as God is perfect. That's the standard. And so if you've ever fallen short of that standard of perfection, then you know that when you stand before God, you cannot place your trust in your own goodness. If you have lied or lusted, if you have cheated or stolen, if you have been dishonest, you have sinned. And that sin before a holy God is subject to judgment. The Bible tells us that there are none who are righteous, not a single one of us. And that the punishment, the wages, what we deserve, what we have earned for the life that we have lived is death. It's separation from a holy God. That is the punishment for our sin. And so someday when you stand before God, where is it that you place your trust? 
Well, I hope that it's not in your own goodness. Many of us on this earth, we place our trust just as we live day by day. We place it in, well, in our wealth. Wealth can protect you from all sorts of uncomfortable things in this life. Man, it can make sure that you aren't cold, that you've got a roof over your head. Make sure that if somebody wrecks your car, you can buy a new one. You're, you're going to have transportation. Your wealth can get you some good medical care. It can get you the best personal trainers. It can do all sorts of incredible things for you. But here's one thing your wealth can't do, and that's travel with you after you die. One of the coolest slash saddest things I've ever seen was, and I probably should have researched this. I'm thinking about it right now. I once read an article in National Geographic or something about this Chinese emperor who, when he died, he had thousands of life-sized, unique clay soldiers made. And then he had treasure troves of money and boats and horses buried and killed so that his burial grave ran for hundreds of yards. He tried to bring an army. He tried to bring boats and wealth and horses with him into the afterlife in order to protect him. And yet thousands of years later, as they are dug up, here's the bad news. None of them went with them. They're still in the ground. We can't take any of it with us. And as we stand before God, he's not accepting bribes. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine, as the psalm says. There is nothing that you can offer to God. There's no way to earn our salvation. So where is it that you're putting your trust matters very, very much? And so today, on Easter Sunday, we get to the point, which is that I want you to consider placing your trust in him, in Jesus Christ. You see, God saw, and I talked about this a little bit already, but God saw his children, us, separated from him by our sins. And because he is holy and because he is righteous and because he is sinless and because he is just, that sin cannot go unpunished. And yet, because we are sinful, we could never earn our way to salvation. We can't do enough good deeds in order to outweigh our own sins. And so Jesus Christ chose to come from heaven to earth. He chose to become a man, to live a sinless life. Jesus himself chose to be the sacrifice Sinless and spotless and undeserving of death, Jesus willingly took the cross upon himself. The punishment that I deserved because of my sins and my pride and my lies and my lust, Jesus took that on himself on the cross. He was tortured and he was beaten. He was unjustly tried and accused. Jesus was spit on and mocked and scorned and all of it was what I deserved. And 2,000 years ago, they nailed him to a, 
to a cross with a criminal on one side and a criminal on the other. And as the blood streamed from the wounds from being beaten, as the nails ripped into and tore his hands, and as Jesus died in agony, he did that to take the place of me and you. And so why should I place my trust in him? The blood that streams from his wounds tells me that I should place my trust in him. As he cries out, as he takes his last breath, Father, forgive them. I can place my trust in him. But you might look at that and you think that I'm a fool. I'm a fool to place my trust in a guy who died a criminal's death. He lost. Well, my friends, I'm, I'm not a fool because Jesus Christ, the story didn't end that Friday. You see, he's risen. He's risen from the grave. Jesus Christ did exactly what he promised that he would do. He was raised to new life after three days. And the empty tomb proclaims that you can place your faith and your trust in him. Why is it that I place my faith in trust in Jesus Christ? Why is it that I give my, my hope and my life when I stand before God someday? I'm not going to say I should get in because I did this good thing or because I gave this amount of money or because I went to church or because I tried. I'm going to say I don't deserve heaven, but Jesus died in my place and he bought me freedom and the empty tomb proclaims that he has victory over sin and death and he has given me that victory. He has adopted me into his family. He calls me his child and his son. Why is it that I should place my trust in him? Man, Christ Jesus, crucified for my sin, resurrected in victory. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, I will place my trust in him. Would you bow your heads this morning? Today in the quiet of this moment, I know that we've talked about a lot of things. I've talked to you Christians about once again looking back and looking around at the majesty at the empty tomb, again listening to the story of the miraculous salvation of God come from heaven to earth to rescue you. But we have also talked about the fact that each and every one of us will someday stand before a holy and just God and be held accountable. And in that moment, we can't say, but they did it first or but they did it worst. It's about I, I am accountable for my sins. Scripture tells us that the wages of that sin is death and death, not just in our hearts, we feel that, we feel that separation, that longing to experience something. But it's also an eternal death, a death spent in eternity, separated from God in hell. But the good news and that's what the gospel means. The word gospel means good news. The good news is that there is hope for you and me. Because while we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, while we had run far from God, 
God came from heaven to earth in order to seek and save that which was lost. You are loved. I know that you don't think that anybody sees you, but you are seen and you are loved. I know that you may have experienced things in your life that are terrible and awful and you can't understand and you get, can't get past it, but I promise you that there is a God who created you and he knows you and that you are loved. You are loved so much that Jesus Christ came and he knows your name and he said, you, yes, you, the one, the one that I'm talking, you, I will die for you. And now salvation is available to any of us who would call on the name of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I am turning from my sins and I'm gonna walk in a new path. Not I will, not my intentions are to someday, but today is the day of my salvation. Today, I am placing my trust, not in myself or my wealth or my own goodness or my own acts, but in you. I asked you before this even began to be open to the idea that God has you here for a reason. And it's my firm belief that the reason for many of us in this room is that God has been trying to get a hold of your life and your heart for a number of years. He has been pursuing you with this message. He's been putting people into your life and into your path. And even now in this moment, you feel this stirring, this desire in your heart. Don't ignore that. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer that you can repeat just in your own mind, in your own head. God can hear each and every thought that you think. He knows you, he is waiting for you. And it's a simple prayer of surrender and recognition. It just simply says this, Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner and I will be held accountable for my sin. There is nothing that I can do or could do to earn my way into heaven because you are holy and you are righteous and because I deserve punishment. But Jesus, I am trusting in your sacrifice for my sin today. I'm giving you my life. I'm turning away from this old life and I'm gonna live and walk in a new way. Make me new, Jesus. I love you. If you prayed that prayer this morning and if you meant that in your heart, I'm gonna encourage you to do two things. The first one is simple. This week, I want you to tell somebody about what happened here today. But the second thing is this, and it, it requires a little bit of boldness, but I think that, man, Jesus came from heaven to earth for you. We can do these small steps of faith in response. And so right here where you sit with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, or maybe this is the first time that you meant that, not just with your intentions, but with your actions, I wanna encourage you to raise your hand on the count of three. I accept it. I prayed that prayer today. I won't call you out. I just want to pray for you and I want to pray with you sometime. On the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. 
all over the auditorium right now, we have hands that are being raised. Raise your hand. Be bold. If you prayed that prayer, don't be nervous. Be bold. You can put your hands down this morning. I want you to know that in heaven right now, God is rejoicing about lost kids that have come home. That today, everything can change. And I want to celebrate with you as well. Please, please, before you leave, go to this website, decision.church. Decision.church. Just let me know your name. I get those cards. I'll shoot you a text. I just want to talk with you and celebrate what it is that God has done. Church, would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us. Thank you for coming from heaven to earth in order to do what we never could do, God. I couldn't get from earth to heaven and so you came to me. I thank you for the new life that we see here today in our midst. I pray that next year, God, next year that that these same men and women who have come to know you today will have spent a year growing in this new faith, experiencing the abundance that you have to offer us. Holy Spirit, come now, work in their lives, begin a new work in them. And I pray that each and every person that was bold enough and brave enough to raise their hand would go to decision.church to fill out that card so that we can have a conversation about what this looks like and what the next steps would be. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You are good. There is no one like you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.